KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Friday, March 3rd. The death of a county jail inmate last year has been ruled a homicide. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. A former SDSU football player pleaded not guilty yesterday to a charge of possession of child pornography. 20-year-old Nolan Iwaliko was being investigated in an alleged rape when police say he was found in possession of child pornography. Police and prosecutors have not talked about the nature of the material that they found in his possession. Iwaliko was one of three former SDSU players accused of raping a 17-year-old girl at an off-campus house party in October 2021. The district attorney's office announced late last year that no charges would be filed in the rape case. If convicted of the possession count, Iwaliko faces up to three years in prison and would have to register as a sex offender. New data shows just how much our recent storms have improved the drought in California. Before those storms, nearly all of California was in drought, including the extreme and exceptional levels. Now the U.S. Drought Monitor says no areas are in the highest levels, while 49% is in moderate or severe drought, 34% is abnormally dry, and nearly 17% of the state is free of drought. Governor Newsom yesterday announced the state will extend the tax deadline for most counties in the state, including ours, to October 16th. His announcement comes after the IRS deadline was already extended for those living in counties impacted by recent storms. But state officials say the extension will be a hurdle for state lawmakers. The legislature and governor rely on the April tax deadline to figure out the state budget that's due in June. The budget deadline can't be changed. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. The county medical examiner has ruled that the death of a jail inmate last year was a homicide. Reporter Kitty Alvarado has the details. 46-year-old Lonnie Newton-Rupert was found unresponsive in his cell at the San Diego Central Jail on March 17th of last year. He was taken to the hospital where he died. Now, nearly a year later, the medical examiner's report says Rupert suffered from severe mental illness and at the time of his death had pneumonia, malnutrition, dehydration, and COVID. His death has been declared a homicide. The medical examiner is not going to list something as a homicide if she is not convinced, hands down. Paul Parker is the executive officer of the County Citizens Law Enforcement Review Board. The autopsy report also said Rupert refused treatment multiple times. I'm really committed to compassionate care for everyone in our custody, and we can do better. 
Sheriff Kelly Martinez says her department is hiring a consultant to look into creating a separate facility for inmates with mental health issues. Rupert's death is being investigated by the Sheriff's Homicide Unit. Martinez says their findings will be submitted to the District Attorney and U.S. Attorney's Office for review and possible charges. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. The city of San Diego on Tuesday released a draft of its plan to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2035. But reporter Jacob Ayers says climate activists want more details and a specific timeline on how that's actually going to happen. The draft of San Diego's climate action implementation plan includes strategies to cut natural gas emissions from buildings across the city, provide public access to clean and renewable energy, and improve transit options that don't involve cars. The plan also calls for waste reduction and restoring green spaces. But the climate action campaign's Brenda Garcia Millan says more needs to be done in order for the city to make its 2035 target for net zero emissions. So we are cautiously optimistic because even though the plan is is finally out, it's still missing um, important deadlines and benchmarks as well as costs for many of its actions. The city's Environment Committee will discuss the implementation plan on March 9th. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. As homeless encampments grow in downtown San Diego, there are plans to close Golden Hall as a homeless shelter. My colleague Maureen Cavanaugh spoke with San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria yesterday and asked why it's being closed. So Golden Hall, as some of your listeners probably remember, is not built as a residential facility. It served as a convention hall for the city for uh, excess of 50 years. Uh, Because of our homelessness crisis, uh, we saw it as appropriate to put every city facility that is reasonable into use uh, to help solve this issue. And so whether it's Golden Hall, uh, the old Pier 1 the city owns on Sports Arena Boulevard, Uh, the old Central Library, which is now operating as a shelter. Many of these facilities that have previously uh, operated uh, under a different use are now serving uh, as a homeless shelter. That presents real challenges uh, on a go-forward basis. And so ultimately, we have to either make the decision to uh, upgrade these facilities to be uh, for residential purpose, or we need to uh, relocate uh, the shelter elsewhere. In the case of Golden Hall, uh, it is our expectation to redevelop uh, the civic core of, of San Diego uh, to uh, have a new city headquarters and a lot of affordable housing uh, for low and middle income San Diegans. And so when we see uh, that need to upgrade the facility um, or move out with our expectation to demolish and redevelop these properties, we need to start planning for that now. Uh, and so we uh, gave notice earlier this week uh, to our residents and providers of what our general impression is. Uh, this is we have a, a, a somewhat longer horizon. Uh, we can do this. We need to do this over the next number of months, um, quite a bit of time, actually. And so this is just about being open and transparent, uh, particularly with the people who live there. You know, all of us uh, would uh, hope that our landlords uh, uh, would let us know uh, with as much notice on anything that's happening. That's what the city's doing here. Uh, we have important partners like Father Joe's who've helped in, uh, run uh, the Golden Hall Shelter uh, for us for the last number of years. You know, working with them and continuing to have their engagement in our homeless response crisis, that's important as well. So essentially what we're doing is acting in an open, transparent manner, anticipating the redevelopment of the site and making sure that we continue to provide as many shelter beds as possible for every individual who wants to get off the streets uh, and end their homelessness and get back on the path of stability and independence. 
Where is the city intending to relocate the 500 plus people who are in Golden Hall now? Well, what we will likely do is have multiple sites that address the different populations that are at Golden Hall. So what we currently have are a large number of single adults, roughly 300 or so, a large number of homeless families, and then a, a, a not insignificant number of transition age youth. Uh, you have covered uh, the fact that my administration, working with the city council and with neighborhoods across San Diego, have increased our shelter capacity in the city uh, by over 60%. And so some of those folks can go to any of those existing facilities or the new facilities that we continue to work on. Uh, we will soon open a new family shelter uh, in Barrio Logan. Some of the families at Golden Hall may relocate there. Uh, and Maureen, we are constantly working uh, to find additional shelter spaces uh, for the homeless in our community. Uh, I believe that we can successfully relocate folks who are currently in Golden Hall, make sure none of them return to our street, and continue what we need to do, which is expand our offerings for those who are continue to be on the street, uh, because we can't be satisfied uh, with even one person on our streets in San Diego. We have to get them all housed. That was San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Cavanaugh. The Department of Veterans Affairs is studying psychedelic drugs as a treatment for PTSD and other disorders. For decades, some scientists have viewed psychedelics as a potential treatment for addiction and other psychiatric conditions. But research was thwarted by government regulation and concerns about recreational drug use. As Jonathan All reports for the American Homefront Project, the VA now is trying to work around those obstacles. Jesse Gould is a retired Army Ranger. He was a mortarman, meaning he regularly launched shells from a metal tube just a few feet away. He says the repetition of those blasts was like getting hit in the head over and over again. These concussive forces over time can have very similar issues and damages on the brain. I was not diagnosed with that, but I had to figure that out for myself, of being around all these explosions. Gould was eventually diagnosed with PTSD, but all of the conventional treatments didn't help him. That's why he turned to psychedelics. And a lot of traumas don't go away, but you are able to handle them better, right? Um, we can't change our past, but we can handle how we process things and how we allow things to completely take over our lives. And that was a gift that my own psychedelic therapies have uh, given me. VA clinics in New York, California, and Oregon are conducting studies using psychedelic drugs like MDMA, also known as ecstasy, and psilocybin, a compound produced naturally by some mushrooms. That makes the VA one of dozens of institutions studying psychedelics. Dr. Josh Siegel is part of a team researching the drugs at Washington University in St. Louis. He says while the data shows psychedelics are successful in treating PTSD, severe depression, and anxiety, there isn't consensus among researchers on exactly how they work. Siegel says some believe the mental journey someone has while on the drugs is the cause, while others look to the science. These drugs, which are, uh, in the case of psychedelics, hitting specific serotonin subreceptors, um, and this produces you know, changes in brain plasticity, and, and that's why the drugs work, and maybe it has little or nothing to do with the uh, acute experience, the psychedelic experience. Siegel says he's excited the VA is getting more involved in studies of psychedelics as it's a major sign of overall acceptance of the drugs as part of a therapy program. Advocates for psychedelic use say a big hurdle to their widespread acceptance is a need for highly trained doctors and nurses to administer them. 
Epin Trampy is a lobbyist for Silo Wellness. He says patients going through psychedelic therapy are very vulnerable to suggestion and require practitioners of the highest training and ethics. There have been numerous scandals where uh, a facilitator sexually abuses the uh, person that they're leading through a psychedelic or MDMA experience. Trampy says even with those caveats, he's glad the VA is getting involved in the studies with psychedelics, but he's concerned the agency's public support is measured. Lisa Brenner is a clinical psychologist with the VA and testified before the House Veterans Affairs Committee in September. VA researchers are engaged um, to be engaged in research around this. However, they need very specific safety and IRB approvals to ensure that we are keeping our veterans safe while we are exploring these new interventions. These current projects are not funded by Office of Research and Development, but VA is engaged and watching closely. Advocates for psychedelic therapies are hoping the Federal Drug Enforcement Administration will take the Schedule One designation off of MDMA and psilocybin, paving the way for more research and use. They're hoping to avoid a state-by-state set of decisions, as has been the case for medical marijuana. I'm Jonathan All in St. Louis. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Coming up, San Diego researchers say cross-border sewage is not just polluting the water. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Local researchers say the sewage polluting the ocean off South County beaches is also polluting the air. Environment reporter Eric Anderson explains. Billions of gallons of sewage-tainted water has flowed across the international border and out into the ocean over the past few months. Many southern beaches were closed most of the year because of health risks, but dirty water is also impacting Imperial Beach's air quality. Scripps Institution of Oceanography researcher Kim Prather says sea spray from waves is carrying bacteria out of the water and into the air. You can see it in the air, but what is physically getting into people in terms of respiratory? Um, We want to start looking at hospital admissions, and we also are looking at what gets indoors. Researchers sampled the air in Imperial Beach between January and May in 2019. Findings are published in the current edition of the journal Environmental Science and Technology. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. A former San Diego Unified parent says the district agreed in a settlement to pay for her medically fragile son's private education, but now it's refusing to reimburse her thousands of dollars in expenses. iNewsource reporter Andrea Figueroa Brisenio explains. 
Heather Russell and her son Ethan were among 15 families that sued the state for better accommodations for their children with disabilities. Later, Russell filed as a homeschool and began teaching Ethan after San Diego Unified agreed to pay for his educational expenses. But now, Russell says the district is denying reimbursements. These aren't funds that go to frivolous things. These are funds that go specifically to help Ethan, to help his education to help him progress. The district told Russell that as a parent, she doesn't qualify as a provider under the agreement, but she notes that nothing in the settlement prohibits her from being reimbursed. Education attorney Matthew Story says it looks like both parties have different interpretations of the agreement, and he adds that the educational expenses Russell is asking for are standard. It's going directly to the education of the so I'm surprised that you're getting, that there's a level of pushback. San Diego Unified told iNewsource that it's unable to comment on legal matters. For KPBS, I'm iNewsource reporter Andrea Figueroa Briseño. For more on this story, go to iNewsource.org. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. That's it for the podcast today. This podcast is produced by KPBS senior producer Brooke Ruth and producer Emmalyn Mohebi. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. KPBS On Demand is supported by The San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota. Let's go places.